Kia ora and welcome to the Kerry Podcast, where we highlight research that weaves together the Word of God in Scripture, the world in which we live, and the work of Christian discipleship. We invite you to join us as we explore ways in which we can live, serve, and witness with Jesus in our constantly changing world. Uh, Tene koutou katoa. Uh, my name is Phil Halstead. And I am the pastoral care, pastoral counselling lecturer at Kerry Baptist College. And in this podcast episode, I have the privilege of interviewing Dr. Glenn Melville on his remarkable PhD uh, in which he studied the pastor's emotional well-being, the Baptist pastor's emotional well-being. And a takeaway for me is that there is hope. Um, There is hope and remarkable pastors can thrive even more. There's hope for all pastors. Enjoy. Well, it's great to be talking with Dr. Glenn Melville, and I'm really looking forward to talking about your research, Glenn, um, on pastors' well-being. Uh, first of all, would it, be, it would be great if you could tell us a little about yourself, you know, like coffee, tea, dogs, cats, where were you born, family constellation? Yeah, kia ora, Phil. Um, it's, it's great to be here and sharing a bit about my research. Um, but yes, a bit about me. Um, I enjoy tea over breakfast. Oh my. And then definitely move on to coffee sort of mid-morning and sometimes a little bit later in the day as well. So Mixing I lo- your drinks. I am mixing my drinks, uh, oh. but I do love my coffee. And sa- In fact, some people say I'm a bit of a coffee snob. Good on you. That's good. <laughs> and uh, we have a dog called Maisie. Yeah. Uh, we also have a cat. Oh. which I'm definitely more fond of the dog than the cat, to be honest. Okay. And we have three chickens. Wow. So, you know, quite the um, menagerie Fun. of different animals. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, a bit more about myself. I'm married to, to Kelly um, for 29 years this year. Wow. And I have three incredible daughters. Um, they're aged 18, 21, and 24. Gosh. And I have to tell you that when yeah, whenever I tell people that, they are surprised that uh, I have this age of, of children um, maybe it's these youthful good looks. I, I, anti-wrinkle I, cream pants. Yeah, something yeah. to do with my regime I- yes. every day around that. Um, what else? I grew up in West Auckland. Uh, I had a career in sales and marketing in the grocery industry hmm. on the manufacturing side. And I got to work in Singapore, had an amazing time there working for a multinational. But then God really clearly called me to come back to New Zealand and go and study wow. and do some theological studies. And then after that, I uh, became a pastor, an associate pastor at uh, Glen Eden Baptist Church in West Auckland. And I was interim senior for a year. And then my life took another turn again uh, because I really felt God calling me to leave pastoral ministry and do a PhD. As you do. As you do. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I was almost completed that. And Kerry came knocking on, on my door, really, about the director for the Kerry Center for Lifelong Learning. Uh, role here, which produces professional development resources uh, for for pastors, among other things. And it just seems like such a good fit. Like, I felt like God had written the job description for me. Brilliant. Um, So, yeah, I've been here two years now. Great. And um, what, in fact, was your research about? So my research was really looking at some of the the causes and, and the conditions that affect the outworking of those causes that influence New Zealand Baptist pastors' emotional well-being. Oh. Yeah. 
So I, I define this as the experience of high levels of what's called positive affect, like feelings of comfort and enthusiasm and, and joy in the role, versus low le levels of negative affect, things like anxiety and depression, etc. Um, I know that effect isn't a word that people are probably familiar with, so maybe if I just unpack that a little bit. Sure. It's, it's a word used in psychology. It describes the experiential aspect of emotions, such as joy and anger and sadness, etc. It's basically what we, we feel, literally feel, in, in our bodies. I mean, in everyday language, people use the term emotions and feelings interchangeably. That's because they experience emotions. They literally feel them. Um, and in my literature review, I found that there were significant benefits for uh, those who, who experienced emotional well-being. So work engagement and performance and enjoyment, the ability to navigate conflict, um, there's physical health benefits like lower stress, lower depression, anxiety, fatigue. I mean, the list goes on, emotional exhaustion, um, resilience, having more closeive and supportive relationships. I mean, it's it's amazing what this emotional well-being, the benefits it can have wow. in our lives. Um, as I hear that, I, I can't help but think, almost name an elephant in the room mm -hmm. for some people. I'm not saying that this is my position necessarily, but then again, it might be. You know, so my good friend Derek Prince says, it's fact, faith, feeling in that order. You're talking a lot about effect, emotion, and but you know, Derek Prince says there's biblical facts. We have to have faith in the facts, and feelings follow that. What's your response? Yeah, I'm actually quite familiar with with that way of thinking, yes. and in fact, it came up in one of the very first interviews I did uh, with a pastor. And I think it does come from a genuine concern of not wanting to completely rely on how we feel. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes how we feel in the moment, it, it, it passes, right? Emotions can be fleeting. And what we feel doesn't always align with, with the truth we find in Scripture. Um, however, I am concerned that placing feelings at the end of what I call the fact-faith train, yes. <laughs> like the little caboose yes. at the very end, it somehow communicates that feelings aren't good. Yes. Like, like we can go too far with this. We can be suspicious of our feelings. Um, you know, feelings are going to lead you into sin. I actually read that in, in um, one of the, some of the literature, yes. you know, that concern about it. And I want to counter that by pointing to Jesus, who has, as a human being, experienced the full range of human emotion. Therefore, I'd like to say feelings are good and affirm that. I mean, feelings are good because they tell us something about how we're interpreting the world about us. Some of our underlying beliefs about ourselves and about God you know, I don't think it's emotions themselves that are the issue. It's how we use them, how we process them. I mean, emotions can prompt us to positive action, like when anger motivates us to act justly, which is fully in, in alignment with Scripture. I mean, God designed us to experience um, emotions, uh, love and joy in relationship with God. I mean, those are good, are good things. So I just want to encourage people, embrace emotion. Celebrate emotion. Uh, use your emotions well and allow God to kind of shape you and guide you how you use those emotions. You can see I'm passionate yes. about emotion. Well, that feels like, uh, note the pun, um, you've, you've 
dealt with that elephant. If any more emerge, I'll, I'll be sure to let you know. But um, why did you focus on this topic of research? Yeah, it, it sort of goes back a little bit um, in, in time. Um, I've had a really long association with the Baptist movement. So my grandmother was a Baptist. My mother was a Baptist. I was literally born into a Baptist church. Go you. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, it was probably inevitable that, that I would become a Baptist pastor. And I served in various roles for a number of years, but nothing had fully prepared me for the emotional demands of, of being a pastor. Uh, so I mentioned before how I had this career in sales and marketing, and uh, even that didn't fully prepare me. Um, I'd served in all sorts of roles in the church. That didn't fully, fully prepare me. I actually had a Master's of Theology tucked under my arm. I had that training, but that didn't fully prepare me uh, either. I was not prepared for those stresses of pastoral ministry, um, dealing with my own expectations of the role and others' expectations and, you know, those expectations around growing the church. Um, I was a, a self-confessed conflict avoider. And, uh, you know, when you're in a pastoral role, uh, you've got to deal with conflict. It's, it's Really? Yeah, really. <laughs> Part and parcel. Who, who knew? Yeah, who I wish someone had told me that yeah. before I went into pastoral ministry. Uh, I experienced, you know, the emotional demands of supporting people in crisis and with mental health issues. And so like, I had to grow in my own self-awareness. Um, how was I processing emotions and responding to people in situations? I had to do quite a bit of formation work yeah. you know, around my own identity um, in relation to, to the role and, and to God. And so as well as that, emotions um, have always fascinated me. As I said, they, they are powerful. They tell us something about how we're interpreting the world. So I felt the strong call to, to leave pastoral ministry and, and go and do this PhD um, on pastor's emotional well-being. It's, yeah. Wow, really interesting. How did you actually go about uh, researching the topic? Well, it was uh, uh, four sort of kind of um, stages to it. Yeah. So I developed a theology of emotional well-being. Um, and this is a bit of a, a mouthful, but it's from a Christological anthropological perspective. Um, I'm not sure what language that was, but what, what does it actually mean? <laughs> well, hopefully in plain English, it means that I believe that Jesus shows us what it means uh, to be fully human. Indeed. And that, that includes the experience of emotions. Uh, the way that Jesus processed his emotions, you know, we read in the Gospels how he expressed his emotions. I think this models to us uh, emotional well-being. I mean, Jesus didn't repress his emotions. He expressed them in, in ways that were appropriate to the situation. Um, he exercised self-control in them. And I think we can learn from Jesus' example and also ask Jesus, uh, because he has experienced emotions, to help us process emotions and experience, uh, express them in, in healthy ways. So that's, that's kind of what's behind that Christological anthropology perspective. <laughs> awesome. Uh, big words, big words. Yeah, so uh, as well as doing that, um, I explored uh, well-being theory from the perspective of modern psychology, and I did a national survey to measure the state of New Zealand Baptist pastors' well-being, and I also did some in-depth interviews with, with 17 amazing Baptist pastors who just opened up their lives to me, which was, was a real privilege. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, just on the national survey, were people willing to jump on board? They were. I had over uh, 200 wow. 
uh, pastors respond to that survey, which was an amazing, um, amazing result. So um, I was very grateful for that as well. Great. Did you have to use a methodology or anything to do this? Yeah, so I use something called critical realism, and uh, I'm not going to try and unpack that for you in this short uh, podcast. Um, If people want to read about that, they can download my uh, PhD from the uh, AUT website. Uh, But basically, it was really beneficial because it helped me develop a model of pastor's emotional well-being Mm. that described how some of the causes and conditions interacted to produce well-being outcomes. Um, so yeah, why, why, explaining why two pastors who are in similar situations or experience the, the same challenges have two different outcomes. Why does one come out of it you know, with pretty good emotional well-being and the other one not? Yes. It's because of the conditions that influence that. I see. Very, yeah. very interesting. Um, well, if, if, am I allowed to ask what were some of the key findings? Yeah, so with the national survey... Um, I was basically, as I say, trying to understand the state of pastors' emotional well-being. And I found that around 35% of pastors experienced feelings of anxiety related to their role uh, some of the time. And it was nearly 7% most or all of the time, which was concerning. Yes. Um, Nearly half of Baptist pastors experienced some feelings of of depression. You know, they felt miserable or depressed or... Um, you know, gloomy about pastoral ministry mm. occasionally or some of the time. But on the positive side, around 42% experienced feelings of comfort. So they felt contented in, in ministry uh, most of the time. And uh, a really a good number, you know, 57% experienced feelings of enthusiasm. You know, they were enjoying pastoral ministry, which is also encouraging. Yes. Sobering as those stats are, Mm. um, to to be honest, they're not as bad as I was expecting. Um, Did they surprise you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and I was encouraged by that as well. Um, But then on the other side, the survey was just like a three-week snapshot. It's a fairly short time frame of their emotional well-being through that three weeks through that three weeks I see and so I I kind of felt it didn't fully capture the high highs and lows of pastoral ministry over Mm. time um, because pastors can go through quite some period of time where everything's really good Mm. and then something will happen that will just trigger a really challenging time for them and also I think it it does reveal that that pastors do struggle with anxiety and feelings of depression and so there is room there's always room for improvement. Yes, yes. Do, do you think of interest that reflects, mirrors society to some degree, or are the contexts so completely different? You know, like, there's a lot more, I read, anxiety and depression out there today than in yesteryear. I couldn't give a percentage. Does that affect pastors? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, we know mental health is a very significant issue um, in today's society, especially for our youth. And, you know, I can't help wonder whether part of that is that we just simply haven't equipped people with the right tools to be able to deal with some of the the modern challenges we have and the stresses of of our lives today, Mm. Um, especially like social media is is a huge one for people. So I think there is some some crossover that affects affects our pastors as well. 
Uh, through the interviews, did you get an appreciation for the impact of the emotional well-being of the 17 pastors' lives? You know, was that clear? Yeah, absolutely, and, and that was a real eye-opener. I mean, beyond the statistics, right, yeah. we're, we're talking about real people's lives. And uh, a number of pastors told me how they had considered resigning from ministry mm. because of the stresses. Um, one pastor did resign. Six pastors actually described how they'd struggled in their relationship with God. Um, nine pastors experienced physical health issues, you know, that difficulty sleeping, not eating well. Um, some even experienced um, respiratory type issues. Mm skin conditions break, breaking out, loss of memory, some had heart attacks um, oh. in ministry. Um, they struggled with mental health issues like excessive rumination, you know, th just can't stop thinking about situations and how to resolve them, how they're going to get through this, real anxiety, panic attacks. Um, two pastors I interviewed were actually hospitalized with clinical depression um, oh. diagnosis. Um, many pastors felt isolated from their church leadership. Um, some withdrew, you like, from their congregations, became less tolerant with people, became really cautious mm. in, in their openness and relationships. Um, some vented their frustrations on their families just as an outlet, you know, to try to process things. And of course, um, many were, were emotionally exhausted. Yes. at different times of their ministry. So that was just very sober, sobering. Yeah, um, sadly, to be honest, that's sort of what I'd been expecting, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's a very tough gig to be a pastor, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I truly believe it's a unique profession with some really unique stresses and, and strains, um, which is another reason that prompted me to do this research. Yeah, very important research. Um, could you tell us about what you discovered, you know, the causes for the pastor's emotional well-being, you know, what, what contributed to it? Were there specific factors? Yeah, yeah, there were. And uh, so I basically identified seven key areas that I think influence pastor's emotional well-being. Um, so... The first one was around their, their belief in, and experience of God, mm -hmm. so their relationship with God, which would be no surprise that yes. that has a significant influence on their well-being. Their social relationships, again, I mean, it's a, it's a relational role. Yeah. It's, it's pastoring in, in the church. Um, some of the formal external support they can receive, um, so from an external supervisor, for instance, and uh, professional development that they undertake, their, their ongoing learning. The pastoral care demands, you know, dealing with people, um, just, you know, crisis in their marriages, um, mental health issues they're, they're dealing with, helping, you know, people navigate just the stresses of life. Um, the pastoral role as, as a calling, some of those um, stakeholder expectations around the role, and the last one was um, their level of emotional intelligence. Yeah, huge topics. Yeah, and I think... The, if I just add, the, the uniqueness of my research is that I looked at these areas through an emotional lens. So I actually looked at some of the, the stimulus or, or events that happen during the course of pastoral ministry that influence their emotions, that produce these different emotional responses. And then how pastors regulated that? How did they express those emotions or did they deny them? Or how did they process them? And these things all had an influence on, on their emotional well-being. Um, wow. Yeah. 
Would you be able to give us some examples or show us um, how you applied your emotional lens to say a few of these seven key areas? Yeah, definitely. Um, so one that comes to mind is first of all their their belief in and experience of God. Yeah. So. I guess again, there's no surprise that in my research I found that when pastors looked to God and, and they saw God as, as beneficial for their well-being, so God is a source of comfort, you know, God is a source of strength and, and joy and affirmation, this produced positive emotional well-being. Um, and that actually helped them cope with stress in ministry. You know, like just knowing that God is ultimately in control of a situation. Mm. You know, God knows the future. God knows the outcome here. God is with me in this and helps me to navigate it. It reassures them that they will get through this stressful time. Yeah. Um, God will help them navigate it. And, you know, ultimately God is, is to be the object of, of our joy and pleasure and, and that is the same for, for pastors. Amen. Um, and one of the emotional regulation strategies that pastors use to, to change how they feel about stress is what we call cognitive change. It's basically changing your thinking. This is a very biblical idea, isn't it? It's yes. being transformed by the renewing of our minds and I found that when pastors sought God's perspective on a situation the big picture, when they felt they'd heard from God, this actually changed their perceptions of stress due to things like conflict and and sense of failure or loss and so on. And that actually changed how they felt mm. about that situation. So an example of this, um, a pastor kind of perceived the lack of spiritual growth in the youth they were leading as a real personal failure. Like they took it really personally. And this led to this period of anxiety for them for about six months. Gosh. And it was only later on during sabbatical where they had a chance to reflect on this that they felt God speaking to them and saying, actually, this, this sense of failure that you feel is actually your perception because it's actually Jesus' job to save people. Yeah, good point. Ultimately, yeah. you know, you, you play a role in this, but ultimately this is, it's, this is Jesus' job. True. And uh, so she said um, these, these amazing words that, uh, I recognize now it was all perceived failure. So what was going on? Because actually the ministry was going well. And so, you know, even the perception of failure was just my perception around that. And I think I talked about those conditions before. Um, and one of those conditions or barriers to pastors experiencing their uh, benefits of their relationship with God is what I refer to as spiritual struggles. So... You imagine pastors are only human, right? And so when there's a time of crisis, sometimes they blamed God uh, for the situation. Mm. You know, God, you called me to this role. Why is this happening? You know, why am I getting this opposition? Why is there this conflict? Why is my vision not, you know, being outworked? They actually questioned if, if God was even good. Is God actually in this situation? Is God present? Mm. Is God actually still sovereign and in control? And that really impacted their their ability to, to hear um, from God. And it also, I think, impacted the ability yeah, to hear God's voice and even to pray and read the Bible. I remember one pastor said to me, when you get stressed, you don't feel like praying. True. You don't even feel like reading reading the Bible. And 
quite sadly, this is supported by other research that says that often pastors really engage in, in prayer or, or reading scripture unless they're preparing a sermon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Th- those questions you listed there that the pastors are asking sound to me like questions of pretty stress-strained people. Would fair comment? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. And and you can imagine, you know, you're... you're you're the pastor of the church, right? There's this yeah. perception that somehow you you have everything together, and, and that you can just you know navigate these things well, and you're up the front, uh, you know, from the pulpit, and you're preaching about the goodness of God, and yet it's hard to reconcile that with all these things that are going on, kind of in the back room yes. of the pastor's lives, and sometimes they can feel a bit hypocritical about that, that they're failing to live out the biblical truth. So it's a real challenge. Yeah, identity rattling even. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, what what is my, uh, the identity that I'm projecting to to my congregation versus what's really um, going on inside. And so I I tell pastors um, that they really need to normalize that we all have spiritual struggles. Yes. And it's actually okay. It's part of being human. Mm. and counsel them not to suppress how they feel but actually seek to understand what's behind those feelings and to share you know talk to someone they trust like like a supervisor or a trusted friend about it and to even utilize some of those emotional regulation strategies Mm. Um, you know they can do things like focusing on the positive which is looking for something good that is happening in this situation um, asking questions around what what is actually God doing in this situation? Where is God working? And you know, seek to reconnect with God. Like God is God is big enough for us to be totally honest with with where we're at and how we're feeling. We can be angry with God. I think we need to um, actually go back to the Psalms and look at some of those Psalms of lament. I mean, the the way. You know, often David would would speak to God, like yeah. sort of, uh, you know, surprises me at, yes. at, at least. But this is scripture, yeah. And it says to me that this is okay for us to, you know, uh, yell and scream uh, at, at times. And God is big enough to handle that. Yeah, the imprecatory psalms, you know, of slay this person and may they never have children and gosh they are certainly uh eye openers aren't they yeah absolutely so so that that was one point you that, know, what would be another one yeah so another one um would be the pastoral call yes so i'm sure everyone would would hopefully understand that um pastoral ministry is a calling like pastors go into ministry because they feel this call of, of the holy spirit they're called to a local church to to serve in ministry and, you know, I found that, that when they believe they're fulfilling that calling, that somehow they are positively, um, you know, influencing the lives of others through their role. Of course, that influences their emotional well-being. They, they feel really good about that. Um, that was sort of no surprise. But the surprise is that the flip side of the call is that it can come with some idealistic expectations of mm. pastoral ministry. You know, there's going to be revival in this church, you know. I'm going to go in and there's going to be massive transformation and we're going to transform the lives of our church and our community and all these people are going to come to faith and there's going to be baptisms. And, I mean, that's all good, right? Yeah. That is surely, you know, at the heart of, of every pastor wants to see these things happen. 
But the reality of pastoral ministry is that there's often a gap between those expectations and, and what actually happens. Yes. And it seems like people are far slower to change than than what we desire. And and I know this from being a pastor myself. And so this can lead to what I call the uh, the D group of feelings, discouragement, ah. <laughs> disillusionment, and, and even depression, you know, and coming back to that, even questioning of, God, why did you call me here if, if I'm not seeing the, the outcomes that, that I want to see? Yeah. And often those, those expectations um, can revolve around a conflict between what the pastor's called to do like it's in the name, right? That I'm called to pastor people, yes. to support them, to, to care for them, and love them, etc. Um, versus the day-to-day tasks, the administration. I mean, the compliance today, the health and safety things that they have to attend to. It's this constant tension mm. between those things. And um, pastors can get really frustrated that they, they're just here to want to pastor and support people and they can't get to do those things. Do, do you have an example of what one of your interviewees said around this issue? You know, for example, they were called into ministry and, you know, to expand upon the points you've just made. Is there a case study, illustration, story you could share? Well, I can't think of a, a specific story, yeah. but in, in general, um, I found again and again that pastors had really high expectations of themselves. Yes. In terms of trying to do too much, trying to do everything, trying to be that perfect leader and, and live up to some of these idealistic expectations. Um, another example actually that just comes to mind is that I remember a pastor talking to me about being really frustrated about the level of volunteerism in their <laughs> congregation. Yes. You know, they, they were like, I'm fully committed. I'm putting in all this time and hours and... Um, all I want people to do is be able to, you know, serve in a in a life group or serve on Sunday. And you know, why won't these people volunteer their time and, and help support me? And, and often pastors, like especially soul pastors, would feel like they are, they are sort of running around like a headless chicken, um, you know, trying to do everything because there's so many gaps in, in the life of the church. And uh, there's a real temptation to kind of what what I call sort of beat up the flock. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. why aren't you guys committed to this life of this church? Why can't you, you know, buy into the vision of what we're doing? And, you know, people just seem to want to turn up on Sunday and, and be served everything on a plate. But when it comes to, um, you know, putting their hand up to serve others, um, that's often not very forthcoming. And that can actually lead to some feelings of disappointment. Yeah, your D words. Yes. Your D words. Um, if I recall correctly, you mentioned stakeholders, and is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So I read yesterday in a book that stakeholders are often invisible. You know, so I'm trying to manipulate you, and I'm telling you a story, so I cite the, the invisible stakeholders to bring pressure, to convince people about my point. But... Is it a bit different in this instance? Because stakeholders are pretty visible, aren't they, for churches? Yeah, absolutely. So, so in pastoral ministry, you, th- you think about all of the, the relational interactions that a pastor has. So mm. there's obviously with congregation members, um, there's interactions with the, the elders or however the governance of, of a church is structured. 
their, their work colleagues, you know, other staff members. There's engagement with people in the wider community. Obviously, engagement with the pastor's own family who who attend the church. And there's engagement with the wider denomination that they're part of. And I think this creates a, a unique environment for the pastor um, that is unlike any other occupation. So often the pastor's work life and their, their social relationships and their family relationships are all tied in together. So you can imagine if there's conflict uh, in, in the local church, that can not only affect the pastor personally, mm. but it can affect their friendships, yes. their social relationships. It can affect their family who yeah. can get caught up in the conflict. So there really is this unique dynamic and all of these stakeholders, um, they have different expectations of the pastor. You can imagine some want to see the church grow numerically, you know, why aren't we growing? Uh, we want to see more people attending our services and more baptisms and more people signing up to be members of the church and we've got to grow our church budget and deliver on this building project and are you providing pastoral care for these these people and we want you to be an amazing preacher on a Sunday and, and also, you know, teach throughout the week and we want you to be a life group leader. Uh, we also want you to be a really good administrator um, because that needs to be taken care of as well and, and the health and safety and so on in the church. And we'd also like you to be present at all meetings and events in the life of the church so that you're out five nights a week. Yes. Yeah. Not, not much really to contend with, is it? Not really, <laughs> and particularly because you can contain that to nine to five, I would imagine. <laughs> It'd be pretty tricky. Um, you, you mentioned, yep. so amidst all of that pressure, it's really important to have an identity grounded in Christ. And, and you mentioned, I think, Romans 12 too. Yes. You know, but other tips to how can we ground our identity more in Christ to stand in the storm? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what I found in my research is that these expectations I've talked about often a pastor would see these as a threat to their self-esteem and self-worth, which relates to their, their identity. And so, you know, that, that extent to which they like themselves, believe that they're, they're, they're competent, um, that sense of self-worth, um, if they perceive that they're failing to, to perform and their identity is tied into their performance, mm. then you can imagine that self-esteem decreases and that actually influences their, their emotional well-being. Yeah. So that can lead to workaholism, as I say, like saying yes to everybody. Yes, I'll be at all those meetings. Yes, I'll do all those things. I'll wear all those different hats. Um, it can lead to maintaining this image of being constantly busy, of looking for validation for others. I mean, you know, you can imagine after preaching a sermon, and, and sometimes you have to um, stand at the, the door of the church and shake people's hands and you're reading people's expressions as they come through. Are they approving of what I said today or are they disapproving? Yeah. Uh, if you're living your life like that, you can imagine, um, you know, Sunday night or, or Monday morning can be pretty tough if, if you feel like your, your sermon hasn't gone down well. Um, finding it difficult to accept constructive feedback. Um, all these things can be tied to a, a performance-based self-esteem i had pastors you know tell me things like i want everybody to be pleased with me yes 
you know, oh no, no, I've made a difference in people's lives or some even felt just so unworthy. I'm not good enough to be a pastor or they felt like a, a real failure. And so um, I guess what I found is that the, the antidote to this, to being that performance-driven pastor is really for pastors to differentiate their pastoral role and their identity in Christ. And when they do that, those external expectations um, don't have the same power. And uh, yeah, I've actually got a quote uh, from one of the pastors I, I've interviewed, and they said, you need to have a deep sense of who you are mm. and what God has called you to do. You are not defined by being a pastor. And I think I really want pastors to hear that. You know, you're not defined. This is not your sole definition of, of who you are. You're defined as as a child of God. Yep. It's it's a bigger thing. You've got to find your sense of self-worth outside the role, ultimately in God. Otherwise, it's going to completely unravel for you yeah. at some point in your pastoral ministry. And so that whole thing, which we mentioned before, of renewing your mind, so transforming unhealthy patterns of thinking, um, engaging with the Holy Spirit to just really understand where those patterns are thinking, what's driving that, that performance, uh, that need to perform, and then yeah, seeking, seeking God's help to transform those, seeking the help, help, help of others. Maybe you might just see, need to see a counsellor or talk it over with your supervisor, engaging in spiritual dis- disciplines to help transform some of those internal narratives mm-hmm. so you're not driven in your pastoral ministry to perform. Great, great points. Um, yeah. you've, you've presented me with a challenge, Glenn, because um, those points seem so significant. It's almost like a finishing point. Yet I have two questions mm-hmm. that I'd love to ask. So um, if we can sort of change gear a fraction, um, what are some of the stories that have stayed with you? You know, you've, you've done a massive research project, put so much effort into it, have a few stories really stayed with you? Yeah, absolutely. And and it was the interviews with pastors that were the most mm. rewarding in this research. Um, one of them was that, like, it actually amazes me the things that cause conflict in the local church. Yes. Um, one pastor told me about a conflict that, that he had with uh, the church eldership. Uh, the pastor wanted to modernize the worship ministry, i.e. get rid of the organ. organ Yes. which is, you know, was sacred. And and according to the elder, the, the organ music was sacred. Sacred part, you know, we cannot touch touch yes. that. Um, and so, you know, on the surface we think, well, that, that's, that's kind of um, a, a bit wrong or a bit shallow. But actually when they went deeper into the causes of that conflict, it's really a, a resistance to change. It's a fear of change letting go of something that's that's comfortable and um, has real meaning for that elder. And so I guess I encourage pastors to, to recognize this and not to see these, these, these conflicts as personal attacks on them, but actually to try to seek to understand where, where the conflict is coming from. Um, another story that, that amazed me is how well pastors are good at hiding <laughs> how they're feeling and the struggles that they're having. Um, they're masters at it. Like one pastor was so good at hiding the state of his mental health that even a staff member 
um, who was a trained counsellor didn't even detect that they were depressed until it, it all imploded and they end up being hospitalised um, with, with clinical depression. Then there was uh, the pastor who was so emotionally exhausted due to all the pastoral care demands in the church, but they just kept going because they felt such a high level of responsibility for their congregation. And they're like, I've got to hold it together. Mm, they're the shepherd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the shepherd of the church. I've got to hold it together for my people. I've just got to keep going. And they just kept living off adrenaline all the time. And that didn't have a good outcome. Mm for them in the end. But you see the tension? Yeah, big tensions. That, that they have, yeah. yeah. Um, this, this final question of mine, um, it's sort of very broad, but mm-hmm. please do with it what you want. Um, sort of what do you think is the significance of your research for our work in the world? That is a big question. Um, I guess what it boils down to is that I'm just really hoping that my research can help pastors mm. um, prevent or minimise some of those periods of low emotional well-being and and increase some of those periods of higher emotional well-being. So if I can just influence in some way to reduce the frequency of depression or anxiety or emotional exhaustion, um, help pastors to deal with the stress through promoting some resilience, um, giving them some tools, to, to help navigate the challenges of pastoral ministry, maybe even change their perceptions of conflict mm. and help them to see the good that can come out of that. I think it could have huge benefits for, for our pastors. You know, I mentioned all those benefits of emotional well-being at the start. You know, just helping them decrease their, their isolation, to decrease the number of pastors leaving the profession due to stress and conflict and burnout and discouragement. And hopefully just helping them thrive in ministry. Mm. You know, I believe pastoral ministry is something that that can be enjoyed. That, you know, I love my job as a pastor. You know, enthusiasm for the role, engagement in ministry, um, celebrating the the, the calling and, and what God is doing. And if we could do this for pastors, it would not only benefit them, but I think their congregations as well and the wider communities. So... I guess on a very practical level, I'm looking at running an emotional well-being course uh, for pastors, and uh, I hope to yeah encourage pastors to engage with that. It's tremendous. If someone's interested in your emotional well-being course, would they just get in touch with you through Kerry's Lifelong Learning? Or yeah, they can do that. Um, and later this year on our lifelonglearning.nz website, yes, um, I'll be publishing details of. Of this course, so yeah, lifelonglearning.nz. There's there's the plug. That's yeah, great. Um, yeah, I mean, clearly, Baptist pastors are remarkable women and men. It's remarkable that you're uh, serving them so well. And uh, as as we close, do you have a final word? Anything you want to say to to land this puppy? <clears throat> uh, I just wanted to say, um, you know, often when I tell pastors that. I'm researching emotional well-being. More often than not, they, there's, there's a sort of a nervous laugh. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of as if the words um, pastor and emotional well-being simply don't go together. And it's like, well, good luck to you because you've got your work cut out for you because it's like every pastor knows the stresses and demands of pastoral ministry. Yes. But, you know, I, I really believe that it is possible 
for, for pastors to experience emotional well-being and it's my hope that I can simply do something uh, to help support that. Kia ora. thank you, that's been wonderful. Thanks Phil. If you've enjoyed this podcast, Kerry has a range of pathways that can help you learn how to weave together God's Word, God's World, and God's Work. For more information about on-site and distance study, visit kerry.ac.nz.